chapter 11. Verse 17. Here's what Paul has to say today. Order at the Lord's Supper is what we're talking about. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. If you were here last week, he, he had some positive things to say. In fact, if you go back there at the top of chapter 1, I am so glad, or chapter 11, verse 1, I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. He's kind of giving them a little boost, you know? I mean, Paul is just, he's kind of a swinging pendulum throughout Corinthians. There's moments where he's like, man, you're doing good. There's moments where he's like, I can't give you praise. You suck, all right? Here you go. Where the pendulum is swinging back again. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. This is the church. Paul had established this church in Corinth, and now there is something he is calling out in the church, and he's saying it's doing more harm when you gather than good. Can you imagine if we got that letter, our church here at Revival, and it said, no, 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 it's doing harm when you gather. Right now, we know that's not true, and we're praying that we would continue to walk by spirit and truth as a church so we never get to this point, and that's why we're going through Corinthians as a church so we can be aware, so we know what things we need to avoid and what things we need to chase after. That's why I love this book, 1 Corinthians. We don't want to get to this place where it's more harmful that they gather than not. Verse 18, first, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. That's interesting. You who have God's approval will be recognized. Those who are chasing after walking in a life filled with spirit and truth. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. We're going to do that today. At the end of this message, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. If you haven't had a chance, feel free any time during this message. If you want to go over and grab one of these today, it's got the bread and the juice, and we're going to partake together. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. That's not really why you're here today, he's saying. For some of you, you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. That's what was happening there. And so this is a little larger scale meal. You know, we do the, the slim down version. We just got the little wafer and the juice. But we're talking about a whole meal here, and people are rushing over. Like, service is done, like... You know, who's ever preaching that day just got done, and there are people like sprinting over, and they're cracking into the wine and chugging it. Like they're getting drunk. That's what's going on. That's what you're going to see here. They are going over there. For, for some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? There were some that had much, and there were some that had little within the church. And so those that had much, they wanted more. And those that had little, they sat back, and, and they didn't have 
much to offer, and they weren't really invited in to partake of what was provided. And so there was shame there. What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. He calls them out here. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. Paul's an apostle. He sat under other apostles' teaching before he even became an apostle. That's an interesting one. Because before, if you find, uh, if you go to Acts, I cannot tell you what chapter it is. 11, 12, uh, maybe 13, 14. 11 through 14. I was just reading this the other night. This is amazing to me. There's a list of these different guys in the church One of them is Barnabas, one of them is Saul, who's now Paul, and they're listed as uh, as prophets or teachers. But then in this moment, right before Paul and Barnabas get sent out as apostles, they're listed there, they get sent out. Once you're sent out, that's when you become an apostle. There's this calling, you've been sent out to go. And so all of a sudden, their titles switch And so they go from prophets and teachers in the church, and that is when they become apostles. That's interesting to me. I I love that because sometimes I just think, oh, yeah, like the moment, uh, you know, Saul became Paul on the road to Damascus, that was when he became an apostle. No, 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 no. Because sometimes that's what I grew up thinking in the church, that if you were one of the ones that had this, you know, direct interaction with Jesus, you know, his original disciples, that you saw him. Uh, Saul seeing Jesus on the road to Damascus, that that was what made you an apostle. No, no, no. An apostle was this calling to go out. That's interesting. He was not an apostle first. He was a prophet or a teacher, it says. I'll find that verse for you. You can fact check me. Somebody, you can Google it out there and find it, all right? But I was just reading that, and I, I find that interesting. And so they're sent out as an apostle. And when you go forth as an apostle, you carry spiritual authority in what you preach and teach. And then what they would do is they would go to these different places on missionary trips. And so they would go to these different places and they would begin to just, they would gather people and they'd begin to preach and teach the word and people would come to hear about it and people would be convicted of their sin. They would repent and be baptized. They would join this fellowship, this group. And that's what he had done in Corinth. And so he would raise up, the next thing that they would do is they would raise up leaders or elders or overseers. There's a couple different words used in the New Testament. Pastors. And so they would raise them up. And when they felt like they had established a strong leadership, then Paul and Barnabas or whoever was on one of these missionary journeys, then they would go on to the next place. But they would stay in contact and they would oversee this place where they had just established a church. And so there's this line of spiritual authority to those who are sent out and who establish churches and raise up leaders. And I love that because one of the things I felt for revival early on was that we would be a church that plants and establishes other churches and other places. And so this gives us a model of what we're called to do. Right now here at Revival, we're raising up leaders. We're pouring in, and we're already seeing it. There are new leaders being formed and that God is establishing. And right now in this church, some of you, you might be on a team. You might be on the welcome team or the greeting team or youth team. 
You, I don't know what team you might be on, and if you're not on a team and you want to join one, come talk to us. We'd love to get you involved. Some of you, you might be in kids' team. That might be where you're at right now, but that doesn't mean God won't change your calling later on. That, that doesn't mean that he won't move you and position you somewhere else. So just because you're serving somewhere right now doesn't mean that's where you're going to serve until the day you die. Like there might be a different calling or something that he's preparing you for, but you can't move into that next calling unless you're obedient in this one. And so there's some people in this church, they come and they come really early uh, to help us set up and tear down. And some people might think like, man, that's kind of a lowly position or that, that's something like, I don't want to be involved in that. I'm, I'm too smart for that. I'm educated. I got a degree. Like, you know, I'm above that. But let me tell you something. God is going to reward faithfulness in the little things. He is. He is building character and developing things internally that you don't even see or realize when you are obedient in the small things. And so there's nothing, as believers, there's nothing when it comes to serving in the church that we are above or too good for. Nothing. Because when we are obedient in the little things, then he knows he can trust us with more. That's in every area of life, our time, our talent, our treasure. And so there's some of us in here where you feel this call on your life and you can kind of see it. Maybe God's even given you a picture or a vision of what is to come in your life. And you're like, I, I want that and I want it now. And he's saying, you haven't even been faithful or obedient in this first calling I've given you. Begin to just do the little things and walk in obedience in the little Things that the world considers lowly and start to see how he rewards your faithfulness. Because I can already see it in our church. There are people who have been faithful and obedient in small roles or in, in tasks that others would look down upon and say, no, 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 I'm above that. And I can see what God is growing inside of them and that he is raising them up for a greater calling. And I'm excited to see what comes down the road for some of these leaders that he's establishing and building up. It's exciting to see in the church. That was one of the passions and hearts that Andrew and I talked about early on for this church, for revival, to see God raise up new leaders for his kingdom to send out. Not to just sit, but to send out. There you go. That was side tangent, bonus sermon, all right? Be obedient in the little things with your time, your talent, your treasure. If you're asking God right now, why haven't I gotten this yet? Why, why am I not here yet? Go back and evaluate what you're doing with your time, your talent, and your treasure. And look at what God's word says and ask yourself, am I even doing the bare minimum of what he's called me to at this point in my life? Because if you're not even doing the bare minimum, if you're not even stepping into obedience in those areas, you're not ready for what you've been called to later on. And you'll never get to that point until you step into obedience right here and right now. That's it. Verse 22. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. Verse 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. 
do this to remember me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Some of us, Paul said, some of us, we're not even interested in the Lord's Supper. Some of us, we just come into this moment and, and we just do this out of routine. We do this out of religion and we don't even think for a moment about what this really signifies. We just do it because it's what our parents did, it's what our grandparents did, it's what our church did growing up and we come in and we take it and we, we eat it and we drink it and we move on to the next thing. And it's become meaningless to us. But there's power here. There, there's power here in this meal that we share as a church. Jesus, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. So at the very beginning, let's take our bread at the end time and let's thank God for this, for his body. He broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you, each and every one of us in here. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. We are in a covenant with God. A covenant relationship. He has taken us to be his bride. That means we are in covenant. That means, we've talked about this at Revival before, but that means his preferences come before ours. That's what it means to step into a covenant. Sometimes we want to negotiate with God and we want to say, you can have part of my heart, but you know, this area over here I'm going to hold on to. And this stuff, you know, I'm going to kind of keep this to myself and I'm going to keep doing this because I like it or it feels good. It makes me feel better about myself. And he said, no, 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 you're in covenant with me. And I've established the covenant. There is no covenant without me. There is no covenant without my son and his blood. Amen? Amen. We don't get to establish the rules or the laws of a covenant. We can only step in and submit to him who has offered salvation to us. That's it. Don't step into this covenant and think, mm, I can still live how I want. I can still choose to do what I want. I can still choose to, to chase after whatever it is I've been called to in this life by the world. No, no, no. We die to the world. And we chase after what his word says. And we chase after walking in obedience to it, not to be saved because we've already been saved, but because we've been saved by the blood, we step into a covenant relationship and we chase after his preferences over our own. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper. No, no, sorry, I already did that one. Verse 27. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, unworthily, is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Unworthily. Now some people, they look at that and they would say, 
well, I, I'm unworthy. I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. I, I, I shouldn't even come in here, and I shouldn't even eat this bread or drink this juice. There, there's a mindset there where some in the church have avoided this because they are afraid, and they look at it, and they say, no, no, I'm, I'm unworthy. That's not what he's saying. We all are sinners saved by grace. But he's saying when we take it in an unworthily manner, don't avoid this meal, but take it serious what it means when you step into the covenant with Jesus in this relationship and you take this bread and you take this juice. Don't treat it unworthily. Verse 28, that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup examine yourself. It's almost like this, uh, that word for examine is almost um, like you're, you're in a courtroom and, and, and you're examining the evidence and you're discerning it. Examine yourself. Look closely inward because once again, the, the church, we've gotten to this point where we take things so lightly because guess what? I mean, when you grow up in a church where all you talk about is grace and you never talk about truth, Everybody's great. Everything is rainbows. Everything is sunshine. I'm not a sinner. I'm, you know, this is awesome. Like, we don't take it worthily or even come to the table and examine our own lives. And we abuse his grace. And so we come in on a Sunday and we take this, but we go out and live the rest of the week however we want to live. And we don't examine our lives, our behaviors, or our actions and we abuse his grace and the sacrifice he made for us. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. I've been stuck on that passage a lot. Because I, once again, in, in the church I grew up in, if somebody was, you know, sick or if somebody had died, um, the conversation this is where it gets really dicey. And so even for me, like right now, as I'm trying to figure out how to approach this, I, I was talking with some of our tech team, uh, you know, this morning about this passage. And this is such a hard and difficult passage because we look at it and we know, man, we're covered. We're covered by Jesus' blood on the cross. We are. But then here's this verse right here that says that there is judgment. And we're saying, no, 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 like, there's no judgment anymore. Like, no, 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 I, I'm saved by the blood. That's what I was told in church growing up. There's no judgment anymore. And so now when there's sickness or death or weakness, like, it's nothing I did. It just happened. But Paul is saying we need to examine our lives closely 
So that means if there's sickness or weakness or death, we don't just disregard it, but we should sit down with the Lord and we should examine our lives and ask him, is this because of something that I am out of alignment with in your word? This is hard. Because all of a sudden, this starts to dive in to some of that health and wealth gospel stuff or, or that prosperity gospel stuff. And I, I've heard all the warnings about that in church growing up, that we just, we stray away from even talking about health and wealth. But Paul is talking about health right here. People's health in the church of Corinth was being affected by their actions and disobedience at the table of the Lord. Our eternal judgment, it, it is set in stone. We are saved and we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. But here on this earth, there is still a judgment that comes when we are out of alignment with the word of the Lord. And that's a difficult thing for us to wrap our minds around. Because then we start to have these questions, like in the story of Job, when Job is saying, no, 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 I'm righteous, and his friends are saying, no, 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 you must have done something wrong, and God reprimands those three friends. And we're like, oh, see, we should never reprimand somebody when there's sickness or, or death, but, but go with me here. I don't have this one up here, but if you guys got your Bibles, if you got your phone, open up with me, Job 33. We're going down some rabbit trails today. We're going all over, because this... This is tough stuff, and I, I'm wrestling with it in my own life. How do we approach this in a biblical manner? This is Job's fourth friend, Elihu. And he comes to Job after all of his friends have been talking and speaking. Finally, Elihu, he steps in, and here's what he says in verse 1. Listen to my words, Job. Pay attention to what I have to say. Now that I have begun to speak, let me continue. I speak with all sincerity. I speak the truth. For the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can. Make your case and take your stand. Look, you and I both belong to God. I too was formed from clay. So you don't need to be afraid of me. I won't come down hard on you. You have spoken in my hearing. And I have heard your very words. You have said, I am pure. I am without sin. I am innocent. I have no guilt. God is picking a quarrel with me, and he considers me his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches my every move. But you are wrong. Elihu is the one friend of Job's that doesn't get reprimanded by God. The other three friends, they get reprimanded. Here's what Elihu says, but you are wrong. Verse 12. And I will show you why. For God is greater than any human being. So why are you bringing a charge against him? Why are you bringing a charge against him? When we fall sick, when we fall ill, sometimes our, our initial reaction is to bring a charge against God. God, why are you doing this to me? God, why, why did you bring this in, onto me right now? Why are you doing this to me? What is Paul saying in Corinth? This is just fresh revelation right now. What is Paul saying? Examine your own lives. Examine your own lives. That's good. This is good. I'm learning right now. So why are you bringing a charge against him? 
Why say he does not respond to people's complaints? For God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. Sometimes God is speaking through our sickness, through our weakness, through death. And he's trying to teach us something. But we're too busy blaming him or blaming others, and we refuse to look inside and examine our own lives. That's a hard lesson right there. It's a lot easier to blame someone outward than to look inward. He's saying, look inward. God speaks again and again, through, though people do not recognize it. Verse 15, he speaks in dreams, in visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they lie in their beds. He whispers in their ears and terrifies them with warnings. He makes them turn from doing wrong. He keeps them from pride. Check yourself. If there is sickness or weakness or death beginning to creep up in your family, check yourself. And look, is there an area where I've been prideful? Is there an area where I think I've been righteous in? Do I believe that I am without sin? Examine your own lives. He makes them turn from doing wrong. That's what God's judgment is doing. Here on this earth, we've been saved eternally, but his judgment that comes here on this earth, it is to correct our course. It is to turn us back from the way we are going. So instead of ignoring the warning signs and saying, I'm fine, I'm not doing anything wrong. No, 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 stop. When the warning signs come on, when the lights on your vehicle come on, what do you do? You take it in for, for an oil change, right? You take it into a mechanic. You take it back to the one who knows what they're doing. That's what we do. When the warning signs start to come on, if there is sickness and weakness in your family, in your life, check the warning lights. Go back to his word. Ask the good mechanic, what should I do? Ooh, ooh, Dang, he's good. All right. Sorry, this is just all like he's teaching me right now. This is fun. Or God, he protects them from the grave. Woo, verse 18. He protects them from the grave, from crossing over the river of death. Verse 19. Or God disciplines people with pain on their sickbeds. God disciplines people with pain on their sickbeds with ceaseless aching in their bones. I'm going to say something crazy. I got a grandpa in my life that is laying on a bed right now with ceaseless pain and aching in his bones. And he has a trail of hurt from generations before him in his life. And because of that, he has left a trail of hurt and brokenness in generations after him. It's a family where pride, pride is God. They would tell you that the Lord is king, but pride is king in their lives. I've asked some of the kids if they've ever heard that man say he was sorry 
for any of the things he had done. This might be too much for a Sunday morning, but it's too late. I've already started. And the answer was no. He had never once owned his sin to his kids. He had never once admitted that he was wrong in how he handled things or how he chose to discipline his children. He's never once told them he was sorry for the pain that he caused. And I'm telling you right now that God in his mercy and grace has given him an extension on his life because there has been more than a handful of times this past year that they have said, this is it, he's going to die, he's on his deathbed, and he has somehow recovered and kept going on and on, and I can see it in his life. God is just giving him an extension to make things right. He is disciplining him to get his attention to call him back to examine his life and to call him into repentance. God disciplines people with pain on their sick beds, with ceaseless aching in their bones. They lose their appetite for even the most delicious food. Their flesh wastes away and their body, their bones stick out. They are at death's door. The angels of death wait for them. But if an angel from heaven appears, a special messenger to intercede for a person and declare that he is upright, he will be gracious and say, rescue him from the grave, for I have found a ransom for his life. Then his body will become as healthy as a child's, firm and youthful again. When he prays to God, he will be accepted and God will receive him with joy and restore him to good standing. He will declare to his friends, I sinned and twisted the truth, but it was not worth it. Don't let your life get to that point. But if it does, if it gets to the point where sickness and death are knocking at your door constantly, stop looking outward and look inward and ask God to reveal what it is that he wants to teach you through this discipline. Ask him. And his Holy Spirit will speak. He will whisper to you. And he will give you a word. When you look through his truth and his word and you align with it, He'll speak. He'll declare to his friends, I sinned and twisted the truth, but it was not worth it. God rescued me from the grave, and now my life is filled with light. Yes, God does these things again and again for people. He rescues them from the grave so they may enjoy the light of life. Mark this well, Job. Listen to me, for I have more to say. But if you have anything to say, go ahead, speak, for I am anxious to see you justified. But if not, then listen to me. Keep silent, and I will teach you wisdom. When we come to this meal, We don't come in pride or arrogance, but we come and we examine our lives. And as we eat this bread and we drink this juice, we remember that that, that sickness and pain and death, all of that was defeated on the cross. It has no power anymore. 
The enemy is powerless against us as we step in to the body of Christ. Acts 10, 38. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. God does not want you to live in oppression and sickness and fear of death. We don't have to live there anymore. Death has been defeated, and the sacrifice on the cross, it was for our sin, the blood, and it was for defeat of sickness. There is power and health and healing in this meal as we step into obedience with him. And this isn't the health and wealth gospel. This is just what he is saying here. This is what his word says. Examine your lives. Look closely inward. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you who are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, verse 31, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. That's why his judgment comes. That's why discipline comes. So that we will not be condemned along with the world. My God, my God has been gracious to my grandpa. He has. He's given him time. And when I read that verse, I, I know that's true of him. He's still giving him time. And I'm still believing for repentance, and I'm still believing for healing, and I'm still believing for something that I've, I know he can do it. He can break the chains and he can break the hardest hearts. And I'm praying for that heart to be broken for him, that he would turn and have a heart like David. When David was confronted with his sin for what he did, when he slept with Bathsheba, when he took Bathsheba's husband and put him at the front lines of battle and murdered him, and when he was confronted with that sin, what did he do? He came to the Lord in repentance. And I'm praying that the Lord I'm asking for that angel of intercession to come to my grandpa and to convict and to bring a healed heart of repentance into his life and his family's life. There can be healing today. Examine ourselves. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. There's one more verse. Go back to Matthew 8. Verse 
Matthew 8, verse 17. I don't have this one for you guys. This is another one he just put on me. Actually, I'll, go, I'll do that whole little section there, 14 through 17. And worship team, you guys can come up as we get ready for this moment. When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. Then she got up and prepared a meal for him. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. This is what Jesus does. He heals. He heals, and he frees the oppressed. Those who are oppressed by demons, he casts out the evil spirits. This fulfilled the, the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who said, he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. He took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. This is where people are like, man, this is starting to sound health and wealth, prosperity gospel. No, no, no. This is what Jesus did. I know there's some of us, we've been trained to think in this way. No, no, no. I, 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 you know, sickness and all that stuff, it's just a normal part of life. And I, I'm telling you, like Jesus still heals today. There are still miracles today. And I believe if we would come to the Lord's Supper and we would remember that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, but his body was broken for our healing. And so I believe today that there is healing that is going to take place. As we take this meal together, whatever it is, whatever the miracle is that you've been looking for, that you've been asking for, pray together, pray for it, pray in faith that his body was broken for our healing. And knowing that our sins are covered by his blood and that someday we'll stand before him and we'll know without a doubt that we were saved by his righteousness, by his sacrifice. We can stand confidently knowing that. This isn't health and wealth. This is just what the Bible says. He wants to heal you. And whether that happens in this life or in the life to come, it doesn't matter Let's pray in faith, knowing that he can heal right here, right now, today. You can walk out of this room today healed. Let's take this meal and remember that. Let's take it in a worthy manner where we examine our lives. As you're examining your life today, here's some questions to ask. Before you take this juice, before you take this bread, ask yourself, am I at peace with my brother or sister? Am I at peace with those people in my life? Am I at peace with my church family? Ask yourself, 
do I harbor bitterness or resentment in my heart? Is there an area of bitterness or resentment that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind right now in your heart? If so, forgive that person. Examine your life. Ask yourself this, have I spoken evil of my fellow believers? Have I gossiped? Have I slandered? Have I heard someone else speak evil about someone and said nothing or did nothing to stop that conversation? Examine. Have I said things that were untrue or dishonoring? Go through these questions as we examine our lives in this moment of communion today. And we remember who he is, what he's done. And we believe for healing. There's miraculous healing in this room that needs to take place. Whether that's in a relationship that's been broken, with a family member, or whether that's in, the, in an area of, of sickness or health in your life, and you're just, you've been praying and, and hoping for years, and you're kind of feeling beat down and sick and tired of asking, don't stop asking. Don't stop going to him in faith and, and going confidently knowing that he can. But just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they faced the fire, they said, we know he can save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and worship the gods of this world. There's only one God we will worship. And so we come to him knowing that even if he doesn't heal in this moment like we are believing for, like we are desiring, we know in the next life there will be healing. But let's keep asking. Let's keep asking out of stupid, crazy faith for miraculous healing in this world because it will bring honor and glory to him when he begins to heal the sick, when he begins to heal the cancer, when he begins to heal diabetes, when he begins to heal the blind, let's keep asking in faith because when he starts to unleash his healing in the name of his son Jesus, when it begins to unleash, it will bring glory and it will bring people into his kingdom because those outside the church, those outside his house will see it and they'll want that for their lives. They'll want to know who it is that can still heal miraculously today, and it's him. He is the healer, and he is the only way through this life because there's no other one that has come. And there's no other one that could pay the price that he paid. So let's pray stupid prayers of faith and healing and believing that he's gonna do something that we thought was impossible that we'd given up on. Where there's been infertility, I'm praying for a blessing of fertility right now. I'm praying for healing in that area and I'm believing for those right now in this church that have been struggling in that area. I'm believing for that miracle and that healing in this moment as you step in to walk with him. He loves you, he cares for you, he wants to bring healing. Examine our lives in this meal together. Pray for each other. Now let's pray for the miraculous healings to start to break out in each and everyone's life in here. 
all the things, all the prayers that we thought were dead and buried and we had prayed long ago and thought that's never gonna happen, let's start praying those prayers again. Let's have faith knowing that he can and still does heal.